0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to come together, Lord, in worship. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is a light to our feet. We thank you with the, for the love, Lord, that you've loved us with, Lord, for your son that you gave us. Lord, we set aside this time, Lord, of evening to, to worship you and to look into your word. And I pray now that you bless us and strengthen us, Father. Help me share some words, Lord, that will illuminate your word to us, Father. Help us to receive understanding from you, and I ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I remember when I was young, we would not sit down until they said you can be seated.
1: Always waited for
0: that. It's kind of a little bit of habit, you know, that you just want to say that when you get done, right? There's still a few people in the world like that. They like to hear that. It's so good to see each of you here tonight and I sure uh, enjoyed our weekend meetings. We had a wonderful time in the Lord and it was good to see the all the different ones that had came. I think we had uh, people from four different churches there. How about that? Praise the Lord. And uh, God is good. I, I was really pleased with all the people that came and I'll thank you all again for all your hard work to help us put that together. I know it was quite a, it was a lot of work, but I, I believe the Lord blessed it. And I believe the Lord worked in it. And so, I do say again, I greet everyone in Jesus' name that's here. And you know, everything we do has to be in the name of Jesus. That name. Amen. Our lives are lived in His name. We take on His name in baptism. And it's more than just a label. It means we are His ambassadors. As He was sent into the world to bear witness of His Father, so we have been sent into the world to bear witness of Him. We are to be living evidence of the power of God, and a living example of the Word of God. And there's a, a phrase I started using a few years ago, and this topic I'm preaching, it's not the first time I preached it, but the first time I, I preached this topic is the first time I think I used this phrase. And I, I uh, you know, faith, faith is not something that's based on our feelings or ideas or wishful thinking, right? Yeah. But faith is based on the Word of God. faith cometh by hearing hearing the word and a faith that's based in the word of god is rock solid hallelujah a faith founded on god's word will stand strong but a faith not founded on the word is something that will fall in fact a faith that is not based on the word of god is not a faith at all it's really a foolishness you know that The wise man, he built his house on the rock, which Jesus said was his saying, his word. But the foolish man, he built his house on the sand. You know, we can have all the faith in the world we want in sinking sand, (laughs) but that's not really faith, is it? It's just foolishness. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word. Faith that comes any other way might not really be faith at all. You know, uh, at a certain point I I realized these things and I I wanted to get right down and understand where my faith was based. I realized I needed to dig down to foundation. What is under my feet? feet, feet. If I get down to the foundation of my building, am I going to find rock under it or am I going to find sinking sand? The Word of God or something else? You know, I don't want uh, a, a false faith. I don't want a vain belief. And so knowing the scripture is very important to me. Knowing the scripture helps us to know God. And one of the chief ways he reveals himself to us is through his word, the scripture. You know, I've known people who in life they thought they really knew a whole lot about the Lord. But when you open up the Bible and you find out that the God of the Bible is an entirely different character than the God that they know. Their Jesus is a different Jesus, and you and I will just pray that God will open their hearts and minds and help those people who are being led astray to be brought back to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the title of my message tonight is The Betrayal of Christ. The Betrayal of Christ. And that's where I want to spend most of my time at this evening. And I have in my heart kind of maybe just to start here with the betrayal and, and take a few messages and, and work our way through maybe his arrest, his trial, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and maybe just take a few services and work through those things and
1: Amen.
0: see what we can learn there. Because there's powerful lessons, there's timeless truths, and we'll have an opportunity, I believe, to, to look at all those things. And maybe just see if we can draw a lesson from it. We're at a time of the year when we're coming into the Passover season. The time when all of these things really happened and came to fruition. And I pray the Lord maybe will stir our hearts a little bit. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 26, we'll start reading there. And we'll start at verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, In the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye this woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever this gospel shall be preached, in the whole world there shall also this, that this woman hath done, for to be told for a memorial of her. Then... One of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and unto them, and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver, and from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Right. Yeah. You know, as we read these verses here, it sets the stage, a picture of an unfolding drama. And, you know, uh, you can maybe think of it almost as scenes in a movie even. You know, it starts out with Jesus in this scene warning his disciples he's going to die. And then the scene cuts over to Caiaphas' house where the priests and the elders are sitting there plotting. Let's kill him. How are we going to kill him? And they had a dilemma. They wanted to do it subtly without bringing up a, a, a huge problem and making an uproar in the crowd. And and it ends there with their dilemma. How are we going to do this subtly? They don't have an answer. They know what they want to do, but how they're going to do it, they still don't know. And then the scene changes from there and it comes back to Simon's house at Bethany. And there's Jesus at the dinner table. And Mary comes to put uh, ointment on his body, on his head, on his feet. And in this scene is going to be the answer to the previous scene's problem. The previous scene, they didn't know. How are we going to get somebody? How are we going to sneak and betray him? And in this next scene, here at Simon's house, the table is being set. The opening is being made for them to get their hands on Jesus. So as we look at that, we we see this woman, Mary, sets the stage for what's to happen. She comes with this box of very expensive ointment in a costly alabaster box. It's a very a fine box, right? And she had in it this costly ointment of oil that would go on Jesus. And it was a very expensive thing and she comes with a a great love in her heart. And she comes to this man that is her savior. And she starts to apply this to him. And she's doing it in an act of love and an act of worship towards her Lord. And it's something that's flowing from her heart as she does this thing. Something she's made a great sacrifice financially and even in just humbling herself to come do this thing in order to come apply these things to the Lord. And, you know, you could just imagine in your heart, maybe. What that felt like for her. She was really putting herself out there, wasn't she? She was really making a great sacrifice, an act towards the Lord. Jesus had come to town, the man who saved her life, the man who had delivered you from many things. And she's doing this because she loves him. Amen. Amen. But while she's doing this thing, someone is looking at her. Someone is not happy about what she is doing. And here in the book of Matthew, it don't really tell us his name. But if we turn over to the book of John, chapter 12, we'll see a few details that the apostle uh, Matthew didn't include in in his explanation. John, chapter 12, and verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Here's this great act of love towards Jesus. Jesus. And then saith one of his disciples, Which one? Which one of his disciples? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare that was put therein. Then Jesus said, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. So there we see him. We see Judas. Judas was watching Mary while she performed her great act of love and anointed Jesus with this precious oil. And all the time he's watching her with an evil eye. And this situation here reveals actually a whole lot about the character of Judas when we think about these things and really pull back the layers. We see here how he moves to manipulate this situation into his own advantage. He wants as much money coming into that treasury as possible because he helps himself to the money that's in the bag. And it's really a very selfish thing here that Judas is saying towards Mary in this situation. Very selfish. Yet he cloaks it, what? With the cloak of righteousness when he does it. Why? We should be giving this money to the poor. You should have sold that oil and given me the money. You know, he's pretending that he had a righteous motive behind his statements and behind the things that he did. To the natural eye, Judas looked like he was maybe thinking about some higher purpose, some higher good. And outwardly, you know, there was really maybe no way to even tell the difference. But deep down, hidden inside was a wicked motive. His true motive was something utterly selfish, utterly self-centered. And just consider each of these aspects of what Judas did. You know, he was making accusations against Mary here. He's accusing her of being wasteful. He's accusing her of not being concerned with others. When what she was doing was in and of itself an act of love towards others, right? To get what he wanted, he was willing to misrepresent himself. He was willing to attack someone who was doing good. He was accusing Mary of having a bad motive in, his, in her heart, when in fact the bad motive was in his own heart, turning it around. And you can think how hurtful it would have been for Mary to have an apostle of the Lord false accuse her before the whole crowd there. But that's exactly what Judas did to Mary. And why did he do it? He did that for his own selfish reasons. Mary had given Jesus something that Judas wanted for himself. He didn't want that praise and love and worship going to Jesus he would rather have that coming in to his pocket. He wanted the value of those things directed towards him. He wanted it for his own possession. And he wanted not only to take from Mary, he wanted also to take from Jesus himself because this was his gift. And you consider here how he is belittling Mary. He takes this love, the show of love and appreciation towards Jesus And Judas puts her down for it. Mm -hmm. Judas is putting her down and belittling her and making light of it. He treats Mary's love and gift towards Jesus as though she had done something wrong. He's treating her love as something she should be ashamed of. That's exactly what Judas is doing in this situation. And notice this too, and this is important. Because Judas also, it's implicit in here, thought he had the right to tell Mary what to do with her own things. He was taking a level of authority and control over Mary's life, which he had no right to do. We're talking about Judas here. He thought he could tell her what she could and could not do with her own possessions. What she could keep, what she could sell, what she could give as a gift, what she should donate. And he felt he had a right to pass judgment on her for not doing what he thought was right. Right. It seems like it did not even cross his mind that Mary was completely within her own rights to do that. And the very premise of his words suggests he believed that Mary did have no right to do what she did without getting his blessing or permission first. But Mary was free to decide what she wanted to do in this matter according to the dictates of her own heart. Amen? But Judas wanted control over Mary. He felt like he had a right to control her decision. All of that is embedded in these things. And as we read Judas's words, we see there is not any real love or concern at all for Mary, is there? No. All he has is a condemnation and an accusation. Against Mary. Judas was Mary's accuser. And this thing Judas said against Mary had an effect on Mary. It left her feeling troubled. It left her feeling like she was the dirty rascal. And we can see that by the words spoken in Mary's defense. And while Judas, think of this, Judas, an apostle of the Lord, is rebuking Mary, who is it that came to Mary's defense? You know, if we went back to the book of Matthew, we would would see that all the other apostles took Judas' side. All the other disciples sided with Judas. You know, it sounded reasonable what Judas was saying, right? That oil cost a lot of money. We could have did a lot of great things for the poor. You know, maybe if we think about ourselves, maybe if we were sitting there, that's a question you could ask yourself if I was sitting there that day, Would I have spoke up for Mary or would I have went with Judas? Would I have took the side of the apostle of the Lord, the apostle of God? Or would I have taken the side of Mary and nobody? What would I have done? You know, maybe even be condemned by our own actions. The other disciples, Matthew tells us, took Judas' side in this thing at this point. No one was on Mary's side. No one defended her. Except one. Except one. And it was Jesus. Amen. Jesus, he knew better. He knows exactly what was going on here. The other apostles, they couldn't see through Judas and what he was. He appeared to be a wonderful man who loved the Lord in their eyes. But Jesus knew better. And Jesus turned and he rebuked Judas for what he was doing. Jesus came personally to the defense of Mary. He said, Judas, you leave her alone. Back in Matthew, he said, you quit troubling this woman because what Judas was doing and saying was troubling Mary's heart. And Jesus confronted Judas to defend Mary. He said, why are you troubling this woman for doing a good work? Who do you think you are, Judas? What is wrong with you? Jesus defended Mary. And you know, it's quite the scene. It's quite the the passage here to ponder over these things. And this exchange between Judas and Jesus and Mary, it's one of the first places in the scripture that we really get a good look at the character of Judas. And you think about that. Think about that just for a minute. Who was Judas up to the point that he did this thing? You know, Judas hadn't been one of the problematic disciples, had he? He didn't ask lots of questions like Thomas and Philip had. He hadn't had to be rebuked over and over like Peter and James and John, right? And if you asked somebody and you said, which one of these men is the most likely to betray the Lord, you know, Judas wouldn't have been anybody's first choice, right? Nobody's. Outwardly, Judas had looked the part. He was pious, he was dressed right, he said the right things. Through his prayers, the sick were healed. Signs and wonders happened as he prayed over people. And it goes to show you can't judge by what you see, good or bad, right? Amen. That's why God judges, what? According to the heart. That's right. Right? Right? All the crowd there that day in that house, they were judging by the appearances. And by their appearance, Judas was the good guy and Mary was the bad guy. But Jesus saw the heart Amen. and he saw Mary Brian. is the good guy, and Judas is the dirty rascal, and he's the only one that saw it that day. Only Jesus knew the truth about Jesus, about Judas, Judas, and this is the truth, he was a thief. He'd been helping himself to the treasury. He was abusing the people around him for his own personal benefit. He was lying and manipulating others. And something deep in his heart didn't really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And this event here with the ointment is the thing that pushed him over the edge. The Lord's rebuke here is the last straw for Judas. You know, his problem was not that he was a thief. You know, if you ask the Lord, he'll forgive you for being a thief. Yeah. Judas' problem was Not that somehow Judas, though, did not believe in Jesus as he should. He did not somehow believe Jesus was who he said he was. And Satan played with his mind in that way. You know, the idea of betraying the Lord for money didn't come into Judas' mind just that day when that happened. No, this is something that had been rolling over in his mind from time to time. Satan had been playing with these ideas, or rather Judas had been playing with these ideas for some time. He had already thought this thing out. He didn't just decide it all of a sudden. But he'd known for quite a long while he wasn't a real believer in Jesus. And when I say believer, I mean believer in Jesus. Not the kind of believer that some people would call a believer. A believer in Jesus. amen. And for quite a while there had been something in Judas that just did not believe some of the things that Jesus said. Somehow he just did not believe Jesus could have been that Messiah. And Judas knew he didn't believe. He knew he didn't agree. He knew he was just there for the money or for the popularity or for whatever it was. He was not there because he had love in his heart. He was not there because he loved Jesus, but he kept up that pretense for some reason. You know, when you live like that, it takes a toll on you. Living a lie is not an easy thing to do, even if maybe you live for a good reason. Maybe there could be a good reason to live a lie, I don't know. But he's living a lie for a terrible reason. And something like that's bound to take a toll on you. And bit by bit, Satan plants thoughts in his mind. And at first maybe he brushed them aside. Gradually maybe he started just to entertain this idea of selling Jesus. Well, I wonder how much I could get for him. Well, you know I would never do it, but boy, I bet I could get a good haul on the Lord. You know, and these things just start to go in his mind. You know, and as Jesus finally he rebukes Judas for mistreating Mary, Judas finally steps over the edge. Mm-hmm. A man who had been what an apostle of God, a man who had signs, wonders, miracles in his ministry, a man who had touched and held Jesus, he ends up possessed by Satan himself. You know, there are people in the world who sometimes they're scared about the story of Judas. I've met people like that. They'll say, I'm afraid I am a Judas. Mm-hmm. But you know, as long as there is the pull in your heart, As long as there's a striving in here to serve the Lord, just because we've slipped up does not make us a Judas, no. As long as you're holding on to the Lord, you'll never be a Judas. As long as he's got a hold of you, you will never be a Judas. But here in this exchange between Judas and Mary, we we see at this moment, as Jesus rebukes him, this is the moment that he gives up. This was a point that he crossed a line, he let go and rejected his Savior, rejected his Messiah, rejected his Lord and began participating in a plot to murder him. He gave up going any further with Jesus and Satan entered into him. Like I said, some people, they get scared by scriptures about Jesus, Judas and my purpose is not at all to scare you. My purpose is that maybe we could just learn a little lesson from these things because I know it's a lesson for me As you know, you and I, we are not the Judases. We love our Lord. We have sacrificed greatly to follow Him. I think you and I, we might better fit ourselves more like a Mary in this story. (laughs) If you want to think where maybe I'd put myself. But people, people trying to do our best, that's who we are. Amen. And maybe the only one who knows the truth of our story is Jesus, just like poor Mary. Amen. Maybe the only one who would speak in our defense Amen. is the Lord. But you know, that would be enough for me. Hallelujah. Amen. That would be enough for me. Amen. But there are lessons we can learn here from Judas and this story. And one lesson is this. You know, it don't matter how close people may have been to miracles or how much they heard the Word of God.
1: Amen.
0: When someone starts to entertain evil thoughts and ideas, gradually it can take them to a very dark place. That's right. And another lesson is how we see Jesus' reaction to Judas's betrayal all through this. We see how the Lord handled it. You know, Jesus was more disappointed than angry. And you know, he never once stepped in to defend himself from Judas. That's right. But he did step in to defend others from him. That's right. You know that? Yeah. Jesus never once tried to stop Judas from doing what he wanted to him, but he was willing to say, Judas, you leave my friends alone. Yeah. Amen. Judas was, Jesus was willing to say that. You know, it's such a a sad thing to watch somebody go down a dark path. Someone like Judas. When you see somebody abusing innocent people who love the Lord. Someone like Judas praying on the weak and abusing their position for their own gain. Someone with evil motives that they have cloaked in a form of godliness. Jesus was saddened by it. And as I read these verses, yet Jesus extended love to Judas to the very end and gave him an opportunity to change course several times. But Judas was determined to destroy Jesus. You can turn with me over to Luke chapter 22, and we'll pick up a few details recorded there by Luke. this is what happened after Jesus told Judas to leave Mary alone. Luke chapter 22, I'll just start at verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being one of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him in the absence of the multitude. You know, it says Judas, Satan entered into him at this time. Judas became completely turned over to evil at this point. And in some ways, this was no doubt a reaction to being confronted by Jesus over his mistreatment of Mary. And Judas's decision here, it, it fits perfectly in with the plan of these priests and leaders of Israel. Because you remember in the scene before this, what? They had been plotting how they're going to capture Jesus, and we just don't know how. Yeah. And now Judas has got his motive, his cause, whatever you want to call it, to betray the Lord after this scene with Mary. And what's he do? He goes back into that very last scene. He carries back to the priests and the elders. I'll help you. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. He was just the man that they were looking for, just the one to do their dirty work. Because they wanted to catch Jesus, but they wanted to do it privately in a way that wouldn't uh, disturb the multitude, I'll put it that way. And to do that, they needed an inside man they needed someone close to Jesus who could betray the Lord's secrets to them. Who could tell them where to find him and just how to catch him. They needed a traitor. And Judas was the one. They needed someone to guide their soldiers to find to Jesus and Judas was That man, you know, something about that exchange, something about the way that that Jesus rebuked him, I keep coming back to this, something about that whole situation pushed Judas over the edge. Maybe he didn't like how Jesus was running things. Maybe it was just as simple that he was a total fraud and wanted the money. Maybe he was a simple thief, maybe. Maybe he didn't like Jesus telling him what to do. Maybe he felt insulted. Maybe his pride was bruised by it. Maybe he thought Jesus was on to him and he wanted to strike first. You know, whatever the case, Judas completely gave himself over to an evil desire to destroy an innocent person. Right. Something that was entirely self-serving. And that evil plot took a hold of him. And Judas sat and he watched for just the right opportunity when he would spring his trap on Jesus. Have you ever met anyone like that in life? No hands. You know, that is truly a malevolent and wicked person, Judas, wasn't it? They can look so good on the outside. They can have the whole world fooled. But in their heart, they are a murderer and a thief. You look behind them and you see a trail of dead bodies and missing funds. <laughs> and they don't think twice about who they step on, That's right. who they destroy, who they hurt, who they manipulate. And you know, nothing, nothing is sacred to them. They will abuse even the holy things of God to get their way. They don't respect boundaries set by God. They don't respect other believers. And they'll abuse Scripture to get power over people even. And when someone gets in their way, they will mercilessly destroy them. That is the kind of person Judas was. And every evidence of it can be seen already in that exchange with Mary. It was all there just in a small dose,, you know, but thanks be to God, we got a greater example than Judas, Amen. thank you, Lord. Amen. We have a perfect example in scripture, yep. something Brother Jordan said at the meetings really uh stuck with me It's rolled over in my mind a few days a few times, you know he said, the love of God is a love that will sit at the same table as judas yeah i I kind of had to you know I had to. Take a breath on that one, you know? My, that is difficult, isn't it? What a difficult thought. While Judas is given himself over to absolute evil, the love of God in Jesus is so powerful that he can sit at the same table with him and show him kindness. When it was in Jesus' power to destroy Judas, he let him go and have his way. He let him follow his heart. He did nothing to restrain him when he could have. He was reviled, but he reviled not again. He opened not his mouth like a lamb to the slaughter. You know, Jesus sets a very high bar for us, doesn't he? A very high bar for us. It's it's unlike me, but it's just like him. You know, I want Jesus to live through me. I want others to be able to see him in my life. And he said, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another as I have loved you. You know, if I want people to see Jesus in me, if I want people to know I'm his disciple, I have to love like Jesus loved. I want that fruit in my life. And I want that Holy Spirit flowing through me and causing that love of God to grow in my heart. And love will cover a multitude of sins. Turn back with me to Matthew 26. I'll I'll pick up there at verse 16. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. And now when even was come, he sat down with the twelve, and they did eat. He said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? You see, every one of them saying this. Judas is right there playing along. Is it me? Is it me, Jesus? Lord, is it me? Judas was a great actor, wasn't he? (laughs) Satan can appear as an angel of light, you know that? And remember as we read in Luke, Satan has already entered into Judas at this point. Mm-hmm. Judas is possessed of Satan sitting at this table. Satan himself is sitting at the table with Jesus. Satan himself is sitting at the table with the apostles. And none of them, none of the apostles could perceive it. Everyone but Jesus was fooled. Someone could ask, is it possible the devil could fool all those people? Well, yes, (laughs) absolutely, yes, it is. The devil fooled all of the apostles for a time. You know, the devil can be that good. He can be such a good fake that there are times that God himself may be the only one that recognizes the fake. And until Judas finally did his deed, that evil in his heart was hidden from all the others around him. And the only way people were ever going to ever be able to figure out what Judas was was to let him carry out his evil in his heart. That evil was going to have to manifest for the people to see. Turn over to John chapter 13 with me. We'll we'll just uh, grab a a few verses there. I jump back and forth. Each of the Gospels has some little details that the others don't. And to help... Put the whole picture together for us. John chapter 13, verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. You know, Jesus knew exactly what kind of person Judas was. He knew exactly what Judas was going to go do. He knew exactly what he was saying when he said, What you do, go do quickly. And as we read this, we might wonder... Was Jesus talking to Judas? Was Jesus talking to Satan? Was he talking to them both? You can kind of read that there and maybe walk away with that question. Who was he talking to? Probably both, right? Judas was so corrupt at this point, so full of hate, so full of greed, that the line between man and devil starts to blur. Judas was so bent on destroying. Even sitting here with Jesus face to face, I know what you're going to do, Judas. Go do it. Nothing could make him turn back. And Jesus realizes this, as he looks at him. I don't think he said this to him with glee. What you're going to do, Judas, do it quickly. It was sorrow. It was sadness. It was disappointment. Jesus realized that as he looked at him, as he had this conversation with Judas, seeing him. Seeing Judas exactly for what he was. And what was Judas? Judas was a lost, broken, corrupt man who was rejecting his only hope of escape. That's who was sitting across the table from him. And Jesus recognized that in Judas just as much as anything else. And after the sop entered into him, after the sop Satan entered into him, then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. And no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Judas, Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. But he then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. It was night. You know that, I think John different places, he likes to put some dramatic effect in there. And it was night. It gives a little dramatic effect. Night had fallen. Darkness had cast its shadow over the land. And you know, that parallels with what is happening in the spiritual there as well. Mm-hmm. Jesus, the light of the world, is about to be taken out of the world. The darkness of evil is about to have its momentary triumph. The last stage of Judas's betrayal is set into motion. And it was night. You just kind of get this picture of this man weaseling around in the dark up to his schemes. Judas is on his way over to the priests, to the leaders of Israel. And when he comes back, it's going to be with a small army to capture and destroy an innocent man. And not just any innocent man. The Lord of glory. And while Judas is off on his evil mission, Jesus, he walks with his disciples over to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays. And Lord willing, we'll maybe look at the Garden of Gethsemane next time. But after his prayer is finished, then comes Judas, his betrayal completed. And let me read that. Back in Matthew chapter 26, I'll just pick that part up there. Matthew 26 starting at verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to the disciples and saith unto them, Sleep now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came. And with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people And he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, and he said, Hail, Master. And he kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, "Friend, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and laid hands on Jesus, and took him. You know, something had been going on all that time Jesus was praying in the garden. There was a reason he was praying so hard. The plot to destroy him was coming into fruition. And Judas was at the heart of that plan. And as Jesus finishes praying, here comes Judas, and more than Judas. Because scripture tells us over and over that Satan was in Judas. It was Satan himself in Judas that Jesus was face to face with in these situations. It was a man, but more than a man. It was the devil incarnate. And I heard a a preacher once point out some of the ironies of Judas. Judas, he had come with weapons to take violently the Prince of Peace. (laughs) So many ironies in Judas here. And to the very end, Judas is pretending to love the Lord. To the very end, he kept up his facade of false love, he betrayed the Lord with a kiss. Yeah. I love you, Lord. Hello, Master. Here's a kiss. At the same time that he was sending the Lord to his agonizing death, he kept up that pretense of loving him. Mm-hmm. It was a contradiction, of utter hypocrisy. You know, the Apostle John said, "He who loveth, who who hateth his brother, <laughs> does not know him." <laughs> has not eternal life abiding in him. And like so many wicked men in the Bible, we see here Judas wanted to be with a crowd when he did his wicked work. He needed a crowd, right, to feel secure, to feel reinforced, because that's what the wicked do. They'll politic, they'll try to get people on their side, they'll try to pick up numbers, right? And they'll think that because they fooled the crowd that they're vindicated, yep. and that they're validated. Right. Yep. Yep. But God cares for none of that. Right. Amen. You know, you can get up the biggest lynch mob there ever was, but they're all still just murderers, you know that? Right. Amen. God cares for none of that. Numbers can't be used to justify evil. Power can't be used to justify evil. Abraham Lincoln said, Might does not make right. No. That's not in the Bible, but Abraham Lincoln was a smart man, right? That's right. <sighs> You know, neither does having large numbers agree with you make you right. You know, Hitler, I think he won election the last time with 80% of the vote. You know, in this world, that matters. Yeah. But it don't matter a hill of beans on Judgment Day. That's right. That 80% of the vote ain't going to get Hitler nothing on Judgment yeah, Day. In fact, all those people who voted for him, boy, my. Whew. They're going to have something to answer for themselves, aren't they? Amen. While they're answering why they killed... Supported such a murderous man. Many of those people they murdered and killed, they'll be there in glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Those Jews, those Christian people, innocents, they'll be there in glory. You know, I want to always seek to be on the right side. Yes, I want to always be on God's side. Amen. And if the love of God, you know, if it had guided Judas's heart, he wouldn't have been rebuking Mary. He wouldn't have been betraying Jesus. You know, there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day when the wicked will get their reward. But until then, we have the wonderful example of Jesus to look to. Let me read verse 50 again. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Friend, Judas, my friend. There is the love of God that Judas was lacking so badly in his own life. There it was in Jesus's even as he brings soldiers to arrest and kill Jesus. Jesus loved him. Jesus called him friend. You know, it's a sad thing to be betrayed by friends, people you love. But Jesus showed us just how to handle such a situation. And Jesus said unto him, friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Let me close in prayer. Lord God, we worship your greatness. Lord, we marvel at your love. Lord, a love so great that it would sit at a table with Judas. Lord, let our hearts be filled with that love. Let our thoughts, Lord, and our motives be guided by that love. Lord, heal the broken. Shine light in the darkness. Deliver the oppressed from bondage. By your mighty power, O God, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I got one song I thought I'd try. I I
1: got the words of it here. Mm. Footprints of Jesus leading the way Footprints of Jesus by night and by day I'm sure if I follow my life will be saved Saved by the blood All the blood of his wounded feet. They led him to Bethany. Oh, that's where he stayed. They led him to Gethsemane. Oh, that's where he prayed. They led him to Calvary. Salvation complete. Led by the prince. Oh, the prints of his wounded feet. Footprints of Jesus. Oh, leading the way. Footprints of Jesus. By night and by day. I'm sure if I follow. My life will be saved. Saved by the blood. Oh, the blood of his wounded feet. You're all dismissed.